0: This is the Icon Podcast, a community of trained readers reflecting Jesus with Michael Burns and Jason Alexander. I'm your host, Gianna Hearn, and the gang's back together talking about Revelation. We're continuing this conversation like that rhyme, guys. I might
1: that, need to be was like beautiful. a
0: rapper or something.
1: Oh, I don't know about that.
0: All right. All right. You I'll might that-
1: sound like Melly Mel trying to diss Eminem <laughs> if you picked up the rap game, which was... Not good for those who don't know what I'm talking about.
0: I think we went over that last episode, but I'll leave the wrap to okay. Jason. He's really the like coolest of the three of us, I would say. Sorry, Michael.
1: No question.
0: And Jason Jason's nods. just
1: nodding. Yeah, he's nodding. He's humble, guys, though, and he's as muted. As the audience can hear. Him.
0: Humble and muted. Sorry. Yes. Yeah. Yep. Um, okay. Uh Jason, have you rapped in the past? I feel like that's the flavor I'm getting from you.
2: Have I rapped?
0: Yeah. yeah. Like did you, you've made <laughs> up a rap or you, you go and do karaoke. Oh, I feel like yeah. you're that you're, guy. Oh yeah.
2: We have, we have like whole, yeah, I got. Uh, they're all on dat. Not that that would mean anything to you, but like what? Uh, digital audio tape, you, oh. you know, there's no way to listen to them, but yeah, there's okay. There's whole,
1: yeah, most- oh, I think we need to find a way to convert that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, you, and make that available. You know, yeah, our listeners want to learn demand. more
0: about us. Yeah, and so I thought I'd introduce Jason, the rapper. What's your rap name? What's your rapper name?
2: You, you know, I, I, I usually just tried to go by my my name, Jason. Mm. It was kind of like my way of being subversive, but it didn't. What about
0: J Flex? I don't know why yeah, that just crazy. came in. J Flex, the so flex on him. You yeah. know what's funny about this is I was totally joking, and I feel like Jason's being completely serious that he rapped in the past and has oh, them on like, like recording.
2: Oh man, I oh, it. I'm it just hot. so confused oh, yeah. now. I thought this was oh. a joke, and we're no. really. T- wow. It was like the. It was like my whole world for. Why
0: don't you wrap an years. intro
2: for us? Like
1: why? Yeah.
0: Why is that not happened?
2: No. No.
1: Jason's rapper moniker was the Vanilla Godzilla. (laughs) Yeah, there it
0: is. (laughs) Michael, I mean, I don't know. You probably never rapped like on tape before. I don't get that from you. But we do call Well, I don't know if we should tell our listeners what we call you, but. um,
1: Oh, they probably already know.
0: Maybe we have talked about big drip before. That is that's, right. that's probably like the best name I've heard in a while. Um, but have you actually used that name to like rap
1: on tape? To to rap, no. No, no.
0: Okay. So you, you're I, not I a real not. one.
1: No, we'll just we'll just move on from that conversation.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, I hope everyone got to know a little bit more about us. We're all very interesting. Jason the most.
1: Well you know what you know what would be interesting that I just realized to the audience that they never get to see is your level of professionalism which is second to none because every time you do the little opening promo <laughs> I try really hard <laughs> To make you laugh on video, yeah. and I've not yet been able to do it.
0: You know, what I thought you were going to bring up is the level of professionalism that I'm eating every time we start our podcast. I'm taking... Well, you're always I'm eating I'm taking the bites yes. of, uh, you know, a breakfast taco right now. Shout out to my almond flour taco. Um, nice. Yeah, this is really the only time when the baby's sleeping, and I have time to eat, so I got to, you know, fit in. What does it get in where I fit in? Um, yeah. Anyways, guys, lots has been happening beyond our jokes and everything like that. Um, a hurricane made landfall or right. it, it happened. I am so far out of the loop because I'm not in Palm Springs where Jason has been actually been affected by Hurricane Hillary. Jason, what's been going on for you?
2: Well, no, nothing for me uh, personally. And in, I mean, our our, our pool... Uh, the water got all the way up to the edge um, in our little condo community. Um, that was the worst of it, uh, but um, it has done some serious damage um, in different parts of the valley here in in the desert. It's pretty substantial. It can't handle much rain here. Like a couple of inches of rain, and like you know, all the roads are flooded out and closed down. But this was like six inches, I think, of rain and like not a lot of time. And so like it, it's destroyed like neighborhoods pretty bad. It's it's pretty intense. So it, so, some members of our church lost their home. Um, we were at their place last night just like digging out. I mean, like feet of mud, like up to your waist for oh. like for a long time long ways. (laughs) It's, yeah, it's, it's crazy. It's a state of emergency. It's, it's nuts.
0: How do you comfort people like during a situation to that magnitude when they're losing their home, you're digging out mud?
2: Yeah, that, that would be, that would be a question I should ask. I should ask them. Um, but I got to imagine like even last night, just seeing so many people meat with shovels and wheelbarrows and buckets and, you know, just, I mean, it barely made a dent, but just nonstop, you know, like shoveling mud out of people's living rooms. Um, it's pretty, I would imagine that would be comforting or at least comforting, but I'd at least imagine you'd sense love from that. It's pretty, pretty inspiring. Um, yeah. So I'm sure there's a lot of that going on. Um, yeah, it's intense. School has been closed here. Like our daughter hasn't been in school for all week. Today was her first day back and that's because the roads are all shut down. So it's, um, I I think we're starting to get to a place where they're starting to deal with the impact.
0: I think people like me just didn't realize Right, how far hurricanes devastation could reach? Like you guys aren't by a body of water. Yeah,
2: it's like it's been. I mean, it's never from my understanding, it's never happened here, um, like this. And I think California. It's not like California is known for hurricanes, you know. So it's it's. I think right. it's been a very long time since uh, there's even been a hurricane near California. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, um, and that's the thing. Like, no one's ready for this kind of thing, and that's what blows my mind is how much damage just a little bit of water can do in in a place like this. You know, it just it's it's insane. Like, it's hard. You can't even really describe how much mud <laughs> just like appeared um, from just a little bit of water. There's just nowhere for the water to go. It's crazy. Yeah, Reg and
0: I were getting texts. Are you guys going, okay, the hurricane's coming? And we we're like, what are you talking about? Like, are yeah, we okay? Right. But there was severe storm warnings in Nevada. and right, I saw that. I was like, okay. But it was mostly for Southern Nevada, which is closer to Palm Springs, I think, than Reno is, because we're very close to Sacramento. Um, but Southern Nevada can get torrential thunderstorms, like very bad flooding and stuff like that. So that was a concern as well. But the reach and impact of a hurricane is nuts. And it's, you know, hopefully everybody that has been devastated by it can get some help, some comfort and try to rebuild. There's so much going on. The fire that happened in Maui, devastating. I've never seen anything like this. Like this is not a news podcast, but we're just saying as God's people, this is, you know, we want to love people, be concerned for people, and there's just so much going on. So, didn't want to talk about the hurricane without talking about the fire because I, I don't know if you guys have been following it, but it's been pretty it's hard to watch. Yeah,
1: yeah, it is. What's um, I don't want to say funny, but in- interesting is I've been traveling the last week and just, you know, I get some news emails and I usually click on it and read. And I hadn't done any of that for a few days, and I haven't been really by TV. And so this morning, Jason texted me and said, we've really been devastated by Hillary in our community. And I was so confused because I had not even heard of this hurricane. And like you, I didn't know hurricanes hit California. I didn't think they did. So I'm confused. I'm like, Hillary Clinton, question mark? Like... What has she been up to that's devastating California? I don't understand. And then Jason had to explain it to me. And now I feel really dumb uh, because I was completely unaware any of this was going on. That's just an
0: insight. That's Hillary
1: Banks, he texted me back. Yeah,
0: (laughs) It's an insight to our group messages, like how it goes. That's pretty much the definition of our text messages. Um, But kind of relating it to what we're talking about. I hear some low rumblings, just, oh, there's the fire, there's this hurricane, there's all these things happening around the world, end times, end times. I'm like, oh, just
1: Ooh, come to
0: our podcast. Just come good and listen segue. a little bit. Um, Maybe it'll help a little bit with perspective. So let's continue to try to help the people um, as much as we can with what we know and what we don't know, and let's just talk about it. Um, Michael, what is today's focus?
1: Well, before I answer that question, let me speak to your segue, which I thought was really well done. It's Professional move there. Swat
0: host, you know?
1: Yeah, that's it's why you're in that seat. But, you know, really, I think since <laughs> shortly after the writing of Revelation, every generation has come up with reasons why their time is the end time, the last time, uh, and, oh, wars, earthquakes, famine, you know, all those things, uh, volcanoes as though they've never happened before, but we tend, there tends to be a recency bias. And so we always think that what is happening now, the world has never been this bad. The world has never had this many problems. And, and that's just, demonstrably not true even even in the united states you'll hear people say today the 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 country has never been so divided i'm like even does that include the civil war era (laughs) (laughs) right like um it seemed fairly divided uh back then even the revolutionary war period uh the country was quite divided between loyalists and and so on and so um yeah so we always those who have kind of that end time view of revelation tend to always interpret their time as this is about it and as we got into the last couple weeks that's not really i think what revelation is trying to communicate so we've talked a lot about some of the background information and mindsets and cultural views and things with revelation. And we may return to a, a little bit of that, but I thought it would be helpful to start getting into some of the main symbols of revelation that can, we're not going to try to decode everything in revelation. Cause I don't think you can. I think that's kind of a fool's errand, but some of the big symbols that revelation makes pretty clear what it is and what it's talking about. I think it is helpful to have those keys, because we can then go backwards as we read through Revelation and, and use those as markers for what John is doing and what's going on. So we're going to start talking about two cities and today. And not, I should give this disclaimer, I suppose, not the church that I used to be a part of, which is the Two Cities Church in Minneapolis, St. Paul, Um, no, no relation there, but two cities that are central to revelation, Babylon and the new Jerusalem. And we'll probably only get through Babylon today, I would guess, but we'll, you know, we'll see. Depends on how chatty Jason is today.
0: There's your indication.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Right. Jason just goes, yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
0: So, talking about Babylon, where do we begin? Where do we start? Because I I would imagine many believers at this point, if you've been following along with us, they have some type of idea of what they think Babylon is. Let me ask Jason. Jason, what is Babylon just on its surface right now?
2: To, To people or like in the Bible?
0: Yeah. What do you think general readers are coming in with the idea of what Babylon is? Just a generic... Maybe one liner definition, if you were to look at Babylon in the back of your Bible, what is it?
2: um well, I think a lot i think you know in in popular culture, you know but for i think for most people I, I, I maybe i maybe not, but um you know I think of you know I listen to a lot of of reggae music, a lot of rock rock steady music, and Babylon is a big theme and in 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 uh, um, several records. Uh, w- one of the m- most popular records, um, Max Max Romero. Um, and the reason it's used is it's like a symbol for um, like oppressive realities. Um, and I, you know, I, I guess I've kind of thought based on the music i listen to that's what people think about babylon and our wider culture um but maybe i'm wrong i um, mean i don't know if you're that wrong that's how it shows up in 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 art i mean yeah
0: maybe from my perspective cuz that seems like in depth like someone that's like really knows their stuff i'm just like ah oh, sin debauchery greed
2: yeah yeah lust right
0: all the badness wrapped up in one that's that city
2: yeah yeah that's what that's what i I, I guess that's what I think. Yeah, that's right.
0: Yeah. Michael, would that be close to the definition as we're going into talking about Babylon? And how would you like to steer us as we think about
1: well, it? Well, you know, it's interesting. Let me start with this. Growing up, I was very much immersed In the view of Revelation, that it is about the end. It is a prediction of the end, and it's really important to know. uh, You know, we we haven't really dove into all that yet here dispensationalism and all of that. I think we will, because it's it's pretty central to the story of American Christianity, and it's been very influential. But it was certainly very influential in my experience growing up in American evangelicalism. And so I remember as a teenager, I had a book and I can I can clearly picture the cover of it, but I can't remember the title, but I need to find this book. I, I got rid of it somewhere over the years and I wish I hadn't. But the whole premise of it was, and it was written back in, I want to say around 1990. And the May whole premise year. of it. Oh, Gianna, that, <laughs> Go was, on, Michael. That, was, that was so unnecessary right now. That was, I, I feel attacked. I am triggered and I have been attacked.
0: Sorry, I get excited when my birthday comes, so keep going.
1: All right, 1990-ish. Um, but the whole premise of this book was that Saddam Hussein was the the beast, the Antichrist. And that it went into all this detail about how he was rebuilding the ancient city of Babylon and putting a new uh, city in Babylon and, and bringing it back to life. And that this was all fulfillment of biblical prophecy because the Babylon being described in Revelation was indeed actual, physical, literal, babylon and so i just grew up knowing that that's what babylon was it it's it's an archetype it's a symbol yes but it in revelation it's a real city it's actual babylon and you know everybody who doesn't see that they'll 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 find out when when all this stuff starts hitting the fan and the antichrist rises up and The church is raptured out, and a few who weren't quite full believers are left, and they've got to wrestle with not taking the mark of the beast, and and that whole very literal interpretation of Revelation, which is known popularly as dispensationalism. So that was kind of the view. But maybe let's, let's start by just reading some of Revelation 17. And uh, or maybe the whole chapter even, and I'll, I'll read it here. But it says, uh, starting in verse 1, One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls came and said to me, Come, I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute who sits by many waters. Now, that should put us on alert right there, because a great prostitute is a common... Um, Uh, It's a common technique used by prophets that usually speaks to immorality, idolatry, uh, spiritual infidelity, that kind of thing. You see it in Hosea, you see it in Nahum, you see it in Isaiah. So we have this prostitute who sits by many waters. With her, the kings of the earth committed adultery, and the inhabitants of the earth were intoxicated with the wine of her adulteries. So we already know just by biblical use that this is symbolism of somehow. We're not to read this literally. And, of course, as we've been following along with Revelation, we know that's how apocalyptic literature works anyway. So these are all, this this is leading to a symbol. Then the angel carried me away in the spirit into a wilderness. There I saw a woman sitting on a scarlet beast that was covered with blasphemous names and had seven heads and ten horns. The woman was dressed in purple and scarlet, was glittering with gold, precious stones, and pearls. She had a golden cup in her hand filled with abominable things and the filth of her adulteries. The name on her forehead was a mystery. Babylon, the great, the mother of prostitutes and of the abominations of the earth. I saw that the woman was drunk with the blood of God's holy people, the blood of those who bore testimony to Jesus. When I saw her, I was greatly astonished. Then the angel said to me, Why are you astonished? I will explain to you the mystery of the woman and of the beast she rides, which has seven heads and ten horns. The beast, which you saw once, I'm sorry, the beast which you saw once was, now is not, and yet will come up out of the abyss and go to its destruction. The inhabitants of the earth, whose names have not been written in the book of life from the creation of the world, will be astonished when they see the beast. In other words, they'll be impressed by the beast because it once was, now is not, and yet will come. This calls for a mind with wisdom. The seven heads are the seven hills on which the woman sits. There are also seven kings. Five have fallen, one is, the other has not yet come. But when he does come, he must remain for only a little while. The beast, who once was and now is not, is an eighth king. He belongs to the seven and is going to his destruction. The ten horns you saw are ten kings who have not yet received a kingdom, but who for one hour will receive authority as kings along with the beast. They have one purpose and will give their power and authority to the beast. They will wage war against the lamb, but the lamb will triumph over them because he is lord of lords and king of kings. And with him will be called chosen and with him will be his called chosen and faithful followers. Then the angel said to me, the waters you saw where the prostitute sits are peoples, multitudes, nations and languages, which is an interesting parallel because that's The purview of the lamb is, you know, a people of every tribe, people, language, group, and nation. So the beast has his own appeal to the the nations and languages and multitudes. It says, the beast and the ten horns you saw will hate the prostitute. They will bring her to ruin and leave her naked. They will eat her flesh and burn her with fire. For God has put it into their hearts to accomplish his purpose by agreeing to hand over the beast, over to the beast their royal authority until God's words are fulfilled the woman you saw is the great city that rules over the kings of the earth so before we go on any any reactions or thoughts there on just reading revelation 17 jason no
2: initial uh re- you know reactions no
0: just think, it's really interesting imagery. Uh, the amount of things here, like it, it could be hard to follow along for some people as <laughs> you're reading this this passage here, because there's just so much of this is that and that was and this is now, and it's a right.
1: lot. Right, and that's one of the reasons why we're not trying to go through verse by verse, and and the way we have other books because. I think the point of revelation is it's, it's larger. It's like a symphony. And if you break it down to each instrument, you start to lose the point of them all working together to build up to something. And, and quite frankly, some of these images, maybe they did mean something specifically. Maybe they don't, maybe they're supposed to all add up to a larger picture, but there can be so many different views of some of the smaller details that we're not going to take the time to get bogged down into that. I think for most people, that's, that's not the key. I mean, you could go to Revelation 4 and spend days and weeks looking at all the theories of what exactly the 24 elders uh, correspond to. But at the end of the day, we don't know. <laughs> we don't know. So what we do know in this passage what does become pretty clear is what Babylon is. And that's what we're going to focus on in this episode.
0: Also, I was wondering, is the point of this passage? I mean, it says in verse 1 that the seven angels say, "Come, I will show you the punishment I will show you the punishment of the great prostitute." So, were we supposed to get out of this what the punishment is to the great prostitute? Because it starts off that way. So for me, that's a question. Okay, what did I get out of this? And what is the, her punishment?
1: No, that's that's so good, Gianna. That's great. And I think that's a, a, a really good question to ask, a really good place to start. Because again, we have to enter the world where Rome is not viewed as a bad thing. Rome is the great hope. Rome presents itself. The narrative of Rome is we're the saviors of the world we've figured things out. We've brought a peace to the world like they've never seen before. We have brought stability to the world and economic prosperity to the world like it has never been seen. And, you know, be grateful to Rome. Be grateful to the soldiers that sacrificed for your benefit and all of that. So that's the narrative that Rome tells and that most people – uh, buy into, and as we see, John says the people were astonished at the beast. They're 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 blown away. They they love it in a sense. Um, it's it's not used in a negative sense there. Um, now that word can be used differently in in different contexts. But the the people who are don't have their name in the book. Uh, who are not followers of jesus who are not living as dissidents they they are enamored with the beast and so part of it is y- you got to see what the beast is and what's what happens to all babylons right and so the point of john here is that ultimately judgment happens to babylon Babylon will say, and I've kind of tipped my hand by already talking about Rome here. Let me just be up front. In in a way, John is going to say Rome is a Babylon, but I think it's important to say not the Babylon; it's a Babylon. And but one of the things that we learn from the Revelation, what's being revealed in the Revelation, is that all the things that That the babylons and empire say that they protect us from they will actually fall prey to so in other words they're like we're impervious to war we're impervious to economic you know we'll keep you safe from economic disaster we'll keep you safe from rebellion and all those things but says john no babylon always falls to those very things it, it falls to the very things that it claims to be able to protect you against. Does that make sense, Gianna?
0: Yes. And maybe I'm trying not to fall a little behind and get lost here because my mind is stuck on probably what you're like, oh, we're not going over the symbols. But I'm like, okay, who is the great prostitute? What does she represent in this passage?
1: Okay. Let, let's start digging into that, right? Um. First of all, again, I think we want to read this not in a literal, time-bound fashion. Um, you know, as though this is some literal physical beings that'll be alive in the future, or, or so on, or that Revelation is making some specific prediction here. What it's making is it's it's changing our perception. And engaging our imagination, not not making a prediction. And so as we begin with the description of the prostitute, she is dressed fine. She has luxury, opulence. She's a big cup in her hand. Uh, now, what's interesting is a lot of scholars think that this is an appeal to the goddess roma rome had this goddess named roma right and roma kind of represented rome Um, she was the city of rome and the empire's public image Uh, roma was roman glory roman nike the victory all all of that sort of thing and so john kind of takes images of roma and turns them (laughs) quite horribly, into a prostitute who's not drinking wine, but drinking a cup filled with blood of faithful people. And so the prostitute, she's drunk, not with alcohol, but with the blood of faithful witnesses. And it says that this Babylon prostitute sits on the beast, or I love in Scott McKnight's book, uh, called revelation for the rest of us he refers to um to the beast as the wild thing he translates it as wild thing which I kind of like so he says babylon sits on the wild thing and this wild thing has seven heads and seven hills and if if we're not connecting the dots here he the last verse of this chapter he says it pretty straightforward like this is the great city that sits on seven hills you'd have to be like more unaware of the world for your entire life than i was of hurricane hillary for the last week to not know that this was Rome, right um clearly Babylon is Rome. At one time, I bought into this theory for a little while that Babylon was actually Jerusalem, that it was referring to Jerusalem. But the more you dig into that, it just doesn't hold water. Anybody reading this in the first century is looking at this and thinking, this is Rome. Uh, And so we get this picture of Babylon rules over the nations. Babylon makes them rich. You can get anything you want in Babylon, Babylon's amazing but John keeps turning those images instead of being positive and saying yeah but they're actually very ugly things they're they're actually um, repugnant from God's point of view and so he gives this hostile portrait of Babylon rather than the positive one that they would have given right and so there's all these pointers, Babylon has power. Babylon sits on on the seven hills which Rome literally sits on seven hills. But why not then just say Rome? Why not just say Roma instead of the prostitute? Why why do this? And I think it's because of what John is doing and it's it's it comes in that that key where I said a few minutes ago that Rome is a Babylon, but not the Babylon. Because what John is not saying is this is all only and exclusively about the Roman Empire. It's not. There have been empires before. There will be empires again. That's why when he talks about Babylon, he says, you know, in general, uh, what's the exact wording, but he keeps saying it, it was, and is, and shall be, which is a, an ugly parody of God, uh, who was, is, and shall be, but he says the, the beast once was, and now is not. And, you know, that kind of language or it, um, I'm looking for the verse, um, where's the verse where he says that now I'm not, I'm not seeing it, uh the beast which you, verse 8 which you saw once was now is not and yet will come up out of the abyss and so these 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 beasts these empires these babylons they come and go there there will always be a babylon who is the babylon right now well, it's clearly rome that that's what they need to see but for the next generation babylon is not rome for us babylon is not rome it will look a lot like Rome. We've got to be aware of it. And so he's describing it in a way that, that they can see. And this is, uh, I'll say one more thing here and then I'll, I'll stop for at least a minute is, um, you know, we, we have kind of these universal symbols that we use. Like if somebody, you know, say a politician is really acting like a, a power hungry tyrant, What's a name that we might affix to that politician? Would we'll say, "Oh, he's he's another what?" You got a guess? Come on, Gianna.
0: I thought Jason was that. Uh, he grabbed his mic. I thought he was gonna. I thought he was gonna spill it for the people. Jason
1: can jump in too. What well, what would we call <laughs> a, a politician who's acting like a tyrant? They say, "Oh, he's he's another." What's the worst thing you could call a politician?
0: The thing that's coming to my brain is not the right answer. I'll tell you that.
1: <laughs> well, now I want to hear it.
0: Maybe later.
1: <laughs> okay. But I mean isn't it Hitler?
0: Okay, I was thinking right? of Yeah,
1: don't don't listen to me, Hitler.
0: Okay, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, yeah,
1: that's yeah. A symbol. So everybody's a Hitler, right? Mm-hmm. Uh maybe Stalin, but mostly <laughs> Hitler. You know, and if somebody is, if somebody stabs you in the back or they're a traitor, what do we call them? Backstabber. No, a name, (laughs) a name, Gianna.
0: Um. Why is it all on me, Jason? Where are you at? Someone that backstabs
2: you. Uh, sorry, a ba- like a pr- like you're looking for a, a like a
1: name. Yeah, what's a name, name that you would call somebody who's uh, a traitor like a or a Benedict Arnold
2: or something like that.
0: There, there you go. go. That that's actually yeah. Correct. You're a, I know that you're one.
1: a Benedict Arnold. I remember being a kid calling people that when I didn't even know who Benedict Arnold was. I,
0: I will say though, for my generation, that's not a huge thing because there's a show I watched that called someone that, and I turned to Reggie like, "What's that?" He's like. <laughs> Oh, and I was like, "Oh, that does ring a bell." We did learn that in school.
1: Yeah, I was going to say that might be more it's of a commentary language on now. I don't think American it's... education yeah. system, but um, but <laughs> in the in in the Jewish world, if you wanted to insult a, a woman, you might call her a Jezebel, or a man, a Balaam, a Balaam. You know, um, and but if you're using city imagery, it's Babylon. So it, yeah. it became kind of um, Babylon was an archetype for any evil empire that was going against God's purposes. But again, evil from whose standards, from whose perspective? Not its own, because Rome was the good guys. Rome was doing the world a favor. Rome was the best the world had to offer. But God has a different perspective. And we'll see why in a minute. We'll look at seven characteristics of Babylon's. And and see how they stand opposed to God. But there's other ancient literature which uses specifically Babylon to refer to Rome very clearly. There's, there's a writing called the Sibylline Oracles. Um, Fourth Ezra is a, a book, an apocryphal book, that refers to—uses similar language kind of to Revelation, but refers to Rome very clearly as Babylon— so it, it was a um, a trope, so to speak. Um, uh, in fact, let me just read this from McKnight's book, which I'm I'm leaning on heavily today, and and taking a lot from. Always, we have a bunch of sources, but I, I really like McKnight on this topic. But he said Babylon is chosen because that city specific. I'm, I'm sorry, Babylon is chosen because that specific city. From that specific time in Israel's hist- history, became a trope for the powers that oppressed, took captive, and killed the people of God. So every time, every place has its Babylon's. Every country has its Babylon's. Each state and city has its Babylon's. Even church institutions have their bastions of Babylon that they have to deal with. It's the it's the it's the center of power and opposing God, maybe not directly because that's not what idolatry always looks like. It's not always here's a different God, but sometimes opposing God is simply using dynamics of old creation in God's name or using dynamics in the name of good, or we're the people of God. We're the nation of God. We're the country of God, but you're not using God's means and, and uh, obeying using God's will and so that is Babylon.
2: Yeah. And that, that last point is is important because I, I think oftentimes when we're reading the Bible, we're in a rush to to just to you know decode or unscramble any text, Revelation especially. Um, but you know, sometimes we, we go too far. in um, and, and if we were to just slow down and and, and try to do business with the metaphor of the city. Uh, and the city is, a, is something that is, from the first couple of chapters of the Bible, the city makes an appearance within the story of the Bible. So it's huge. Um, but this metaphor, whatever the city is, and we could just read the rest of the Bible to, to get a sense of how that's being used, but it's called a harlot or a, 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 a whore. Um, and it's graphic and it's it's even offensive i mean it, it, it's it's unfortunate i think that um you know th- this is yeah like women are often described as like a danger to the people of god in in scripture um and it's it's not necessarily condemning women but it, there's there's a metaphor at work when we're talking about the woman the the um the, uh, the 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 prostitute, um, and so you, just for a moment, cognitive linguistics is a is a major part of biblical studies at this stage. People have realized that one of the 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 ways we misread scripture is we don't know how to to deal with metaphor or even notice that metaphor isn't merely a matter of symbols, but a matter of living, and, and it's the way we think and process. So we almost blow past this so fast that we don't stop to think, okay, well, what about a prostitute maps onto a city? Uh, and it's not necessarily that the, the, the city is a, is a woman. Uh, that's not the, the major takeaway, but what is it about a prostitute uh, that's like the city? And I think what, what you come away with, if you, if you have a, a, a nice, long, healthy discussion about all of the, the ways a prostitute in the city can match, is um, seduction. S- seduction's a major part of this, this metaphor. Um, and you see that all the way back, yeah, like you mentioned, Michael, how Jerusalem in Isaiah 1 is called the faithful city who's become, it's the same word in, in the Septuagint here, um, she's a whore. So even the people of God can inhabit the city which is a whore. They can make a city into uh, a, a prostitute, and death and and um, death is always a part of it too. But it's seduction. One more example: Proverbs chapter seven. Now there, it's it's not a prostitute but it's the foreign woman which is often translated really interesting as the adulteress but the young man the father warns the young man and he allows the young man to really envision the scenario where the foreign woman comes to him and she 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 finds him in the street and she kisses him and she says i've been looking for you all day and my husband's away on a journey and i have egyptian linens on my bed and it's ready for lovemaking let us drink deep and have sex all night i've got food from a sacrifice. We can just go at it all night long. No one's ever going to know. My husband's far away. And then the, the father kind of slaps him and says, look, that way leads down to death. It's like you're being um, seduced. You're like a lamb to the slaughter. And so there's this power of the of the, uh, of the, the prostitute, the, the seductive woman, which is being mapped onto the city. Now, having said that, that's really really important because even in Babylon, when we when we go look at, uh, for example, the prophets which are 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 speaking presumably to the exiles during the Babylonian exile, not all of them are being murdered. <laughs> like some of them are living quite comfortably, um, and so there, there's something about the the seduction of the city which you know. Death and, and, and oppression is a part of it, but so is comfort in this kind of pseudo vision of peace in the good life. And so therein lies some of the power is that the, this city is like someone that seduces you into imagining this destructive way of life is you can benefit from it. Um, so give in to its power. Uh, scripture warns that it's actually death, dishonor um you know, oppression and mutilation. But but uh if you're if you're not don't have your wits about you, um you'll find yourself really comfortable and at home in this horrible place. Um so I, I think these metaphors, you know, it's a pain, but this is a lesson in reading the Bible well is to stop and think about what could a what could a prostitute have to do with a city before you even get into well, what is the city? And I think you're right, Michael. I, I think yeah, and, and and McKnight's book does that as well, where it's like trying to decode what the city is. Uh, you you you'll, you blow you blew right past the the basic point in doing that. So um, yeah. Anyways.
0: I really like that point because, you know, that was my question to Michael at the beginning. Who is the prostitute? And maybe the better question is, what does she represent? So I, I like that you pointed that out. That helps my thinking as I adjust uh, my view of what I'm reading during this time. Um, but it's funny that you mentioned seduction because that's that was my takeaway from this. It was like, you know, the seduction of it uh, it's pretty interesting. So you just did it like way more in depth, uh, Michael. (laughs) That's what we like. I mean, it really helps to like, I, a lot of the times I feel like Jason, the way you explain things helps me to like get everything out of my brain that I can't formulate sentences for. And I'm like, that's what I would say if I could say it that way.
2: Well, and I, I'm sure Michael's going in this direction. Maybe he's not, but I, You know, I think one of the things that's most frightening about these images is the fact that the people of God can be seduced, Um, you know, that even as the, you know, it's amazing when you read the prophets, how I'm thinking of Isaiah 13 through 23, you get all these warnings and oracles against the nations. And lo and behold, Jerusalem is right there in the mix. They get their own oracle right next to Edom and, and all the other, you know, Moab and the nations that are totally have ditched God. And I think that's, you know, this image really captures something of like the warning to the church um, to, man, it's so easy to capitulate. And the real, the power of seduction is that the church you know what is it con- conforms or colludes with the 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 whore so to speak without even realizing it's happened. We're just like anestesi- anesthetized. I don't know what the word is, but um, and it's <laughs> happening um, right under our noses and we don't see it. And so I love that it's shining a light on Roman society and making the church think again. Like wait a second, you know, like don't 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 be too too quick. Um, to not imagine this has a, a power over you as well. Anyways, yeah.
1: You know, so let me say this, Gianna. I, I really like the question that you asked originally, which was who is Babylon? And I, the characteristics and all of that, yes, super important. And I I'm, I'm love what Jason said. And I love how you rephrase that. But I think maybe the key is in the tense there is is the question is, who is Babylon, not who was Babylon, because we can get obsessed with, oh, it was Rome, you know, and all these markers and what does it mean? And oh, now we know it's Rome. And there you go. End of story. Okay. Babylon was Rome. That's bad. Let's, let's, uh, be grateful that we're not part of that or something. But the question that, or, or what John wants the original readers to do is to be able to say, here's this concept of empire. It's always there. It's always seductive. It's all always calling to us, not just in big nationalistic movements, but in small ways, as Jason said, the people of God, we can give ourselves into the dynamics of empire. And so at each generation, we've got to ask ourselves, who is Babylon? Which
2: right, which you get at by beginning with what is Babylon? And then that gives you like a a set of lenses through which to look at the world around you. And then and then it, it, it helps you from instead of like saying, Well, Rome was Babylon, Babylon was Babylon, Edom was Babylon, it gives you a set of it gives you a set of metaphors, really. Say, Well, what does Babylon look like? And then you can spot it from a million miles away. Um, you'll see America as Babylon. You'll see, you know, whatever, any any country as Babylon, because you have a sense of what it looks like when a city embodies everything which opposes who God is.
0: Yeah, but so I think it's like easy for target. people. We, people just want to say, who was Babylon? Okay, so that they have this, like, one thing, be done with it, and move on, and everything's fleshed out in Revelation, and it's easy and palatable,
2: and then it's over. Then you've done the interpretive work, and then yeah, I, you know I don't know what the the leap is from there. But then it's like, um, you know, it, it the the text loses all of its potency then, um, because Babylon is is officially no longer a part of our world. Uh, it's done. It was and it's over.
1: Yes, and I would I would add to that, guys is. Not just the error of who was Babylon, but the other end of that is who will Babylon be? Right. One of those two, but we don't want to deal with who is Babylon. You know, was it the big bad beast of the past or will it be the big bad beast of the future? But we don't want to do the work, which is what John is calling us to, is to be discerning dissidents, counter-cultural people living out the new creation, always on guard for these old creation dynamics. And I, I love, Jason, that you said, what is Babylon? Let me do this. In in uh, McKnight's book, which I re- referenced a couple times today, uh, The Revo- Revelation for the Rest of Us, he has seven characteristics of Babylon. I'm going to rephrase and recast these a little bit, um, to perhaps more universalize them and apply them to uh, a lens that we can look for today. But I'll just try to do these quick quickly. So I'm going to use a little bit different terminology than McKnight uses, but definitely inspired by his seven characteristics. The first one being prideful. And, and McKnight calls this being anti-God. It's that you know, we, we want to do things our own way and not God's way, or we, we're seduced by old creation dynamics of manipulation and power and all those sorts of things and hierarchy and uh, those sorts of things, and it winds up being idolatry. We wind up doing it different than God's way, but we make it sound good. That's the first characteristic of Babylon. The second characteristic is prosperity. Babylon can exist because it promises prosperity. And we see that throughout Revelation. Babylon is, is just flowing in opulence and reveling in it. And uh, it's at the heart of it is a superior status. We are better than everyone else. We've figured it out and trust us, we'll provide prosperity to you. That is a key characteristic of Babylon. So anybody who's promising... Prosperity, safety, uh, comfort, those are characteristics of Babylon. The third one is a culture of death. And, uh, you know, Rome was obsessed with death in in various different ways. It's games, it's sports kind of pointed to death. It's Roman peace stood on a pile of dead bodies. That's how they got their peace. So they were very much... uh, Death was sort of infused into everything. And it was one of the big tools of Rome to keep its, uh, its uh, what do I want to say? The mythology of Elysium. It's, it's uh, oasis, you know, mirage kind of thing. The fourth characteristic is image or identity. Babylon is obsessed with image, with wanting to look good. That's at a national level. It can be at a group level, an individual level, but it's obsessed with how it comes across. It's, it's got to look good. It's got to uh, put on this awe and inspiring and praise and astonishment. And it, it wants those kind of things. It, it wants to live in this self-created image rather than be a simple image bearer of God. The fifth one I would characterize as power McKnight calls this militaristic, but I think, again, it's at any level. At a national level, power looks like militarism, Uh, and Babylon runs on power. But at other levels, um, it's at power. It's at hierarchy. When we see those sorts of things, we know that empire, Babylon, has started to seep in. The sixth characteristic of Babylon is economic exploitation, is there's haves and have-nots. And, you know, we see that in uh, Revelation 18.3, the merchants of the earth are growing rich from her excessive luxuries, and yet we know there are many poor people in Rome. There are slaves. There are those who are being sold by other humans. Any of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and Babylon will promise economic prosperity, but only deliver it to some. But people will hold it up as, no, it's a good thing because there's that always that promise that I might be in that group or I am in that group. Or even in some cases, everybody in Babylon is doing pretty well, but it pays no attention to all of the bodies underneath it being crushed so it it is exploitative and then finally seven and i don't think i have to say too much about this uh babylon is arrogant it boasts in itself we're number one we're the best we have this figured out look at us uh it's it's an ego culture. And so what John is saying is look for those types of characteristics and and be aware of Babylon. And so he says, Hey, Babylon was and then it wasn't for a while, but it will be. It'll keep coming back. You'll keep it'll keep coming around. So be on your guard.
2: Yeah. I mean, you're reading that list, and I'm thinking, yeah, you're getting pretty close to home here. I'm not going to say much more than that, but it doesn't take uh sure. an honest person m- much to to notice that y- you're describing something that we experience still.
1: On many levels. Yeah,
2: absolutely.
1: Yeah.
0: And, um, no one wants to go down that road today. <laughs> <laughs> well, I
1: think, I think that would be a road too long. We've already gone down that road some, yeah. but that would be, that would be a 30 minute road. So we're, we're getting exactly. close to being out of time. <laughs> I, I remember
2: hearing. Uh, Walter Brueggemann had to preach after nine 11 the text in the lectionary was one of the oracles against Jerusalem, I think in Jeremiah or something like that. He said, I'm not going to say anything, but I'm just going to read this text and let it sit. And <laughs> it, it's one of those where it's like, you know, you just, without trying to, you know, be too clear about how that all applies. It's like, yeah, just let that marinate for a minute. Oh, that list you just read. It's, um, it's pretty clarifying.
0: I think even if you hear that list and you think, oh, I can pinpoint maybe a country or a civilization or a group that represents those seven things right now. It's more about how can we figure those seven things out individually? Like to me, I don't know if I could be off base here, but I'm not obsessed with trying to figure out who that culture is. I mean, I can see some things that I could point out, but I'm more obsessed with trying to figure that out within myself, uh, and how I individually would be seduced or can be seduced, um, and I was I was actually thinking more of like, oh, dang, that sounds like me. Oh, that is – that geez. Like I was sitting here like, mm, okay, the argument with Reggie yesterday, maybe a few of those things are my fault. <laughs> um, sure. So I, I think which,
1: which, Gianna, I think that's a really good instinct. The only thing I would add to that is that there's a bit of that tendency for us to go individualistic mm-hmm. all the time. I think it's equally important for us as the people of God to do that same work. And and yeah, not to get obsessed with well, which country is the biggest yes. Babylon these days or which political party, but are we allowing, are we being seduced by these things as God's people and as individuals?
0: Yes. And that I think is the bigger takeaway for me is even if we pinpoint who or which culture, whatever it is, are we being opposite? Are we being not that? Um, And I think that should be more of the focus. I think it's always like, who is it? What is it? We got it right. We have the knowledge. Instead of, we are different. Make sure we are not those. Let's show a different way. Um, So yeah. Uh, Great discussion, guys. Anything else that anyone wants to add before we wrap it up?
2: No, the only thing I was... Thinking was I just I I don't I haven't listened to the Bible Project podcasts in a long time, but I you know I still am subscribed and I see them come up and I noticed not that long ago there were several weeks in a row where they had podcasts about the two cities motif in the Bible. I, I, I'm, I'm thinking well, it was a series on
1: city in general, the motif of okay. city. Yeah,
2: gotcha. Yeah. I'm sure those were great.
1: I heard a couple of them. I haven't listened to all of them. And I got behind. And then they started a series on basically dragons. And then that kind of caught my attention. I haven't gone yeah. back. Yet. Nice. Yeah.
2: Amazing. Anyway, I just bet thinking out loud. But yeah, that's all I had.
1: No, I would definitely recommend that series, though, on on the city. And they go into a tremendous amount of detail on the idea of cities in the Bible. That's good.
0: These are things I would never think to think about, to be honest.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Is it good or bad, Gianna?
2: Yeah, right. I was thinking that, too.
0: Yeah. Is it good or
1: bad that we're making you think about things like that?
0: I mean, you don't know what type of, I don't want to say beast, but you don't know what type of beast you might make me into. If I'm thinking about all this stuff and I'm digging deep, might be a whole new G. I don't know. Uh, but let's find out on the next episode, guys. Right. For sticking around with us. If you want to communicate with us, you know where to find us on Facebook or you can email iconpodcast at gmail.com. Catch you guys next time.